source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding die. People said, Amen. Wonderful. Thank you, brothers and sisters. The text uh, today is actually found in your bulletin, the uh, texts, to keep you from having to fumble through the Bible. And also to, hopefully, this can be something to take home and group some passages together to see some uh, themes in Scripture uh, with these passages that are grouped. So if you would keep your bulletins open to pages 6 and 7, so you can read these. Now, let me pray and then I want to start talk a little bit about where we've come up to this point, but let's pray and ask God's blessing upon us. Lord, we come to your word to be encouraged and strengthened. Uh, You you promise that uh, you will use the word for our encouragement, that it will get inside of us and divide between soul and spirit and bone and marrow. It, It will discern our thoughts, that it will teach us, that it will train us, that it will rebuke us and reprove us, it will build us up, that will give us an inheritance, that it will reconstruct our lives. Lord, this this is the word by which we live. It's, as Moses said to the people, this isn't a casual word, this is your life. This is critical, critical stuff for us. Oh Lord, make us to be men and women and boys and girls of God, and therefore, men and women and boys and girls of your word, for we can't be the one without the other. Lord, may we be people that are greatly encouraged and built up, and Lord, that, that live in freedom, and a freedom to love and care and spend ourselves, because we're people of, of the word, people who believe your promise and live out that promise. Bless us now, Lord, that we will hear your word and take it to heart and live it out in our lives. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, you'll see up there on page 6 where we've come. We've got this theme for the past weeks, the covenant in Christ and different aspects of the covenant in Christ. Actually, week 3, we broke to talk about the Connecticut situation, so we're a little skimpy on that one, but... Um, it's pretty much included in these other ones. But I want to talk just a little bit about why this thing, why covenant and Christ. And, and maybe the question would come up, what does this have to do with Christmas anyway? Uh, I thought this was Christmas time and you're talking about the covenant and Christ. And so I'd like to speak to that a little bit before we get to these uh, texts today. Um, you've often seen the structural uh, steel work of a building, steel girders, and it'd be safe to say, accurate to say, that the, co- that the word covenant uh, really is the steel structure of the whole Bible, and that's 
because it's the still structure of our relationship with God. It's the still structure of our relationship with God. Covenant in the Bible basically means a promise. Now, a strong promise, a binding promise, a promise of absolute commitment, but basically a promise. And our whole relationship with God is built around His promise to us. Whole relationship. Or His covenant with us. So that's why we'd say it's the steel girder of our relationship to God because it's built upon His promise to us. In fact, He offers this promise to anyone and to everyone. This is kind of a summary of His promise. That He will bring ultimate and complete good to you in every way humanly possible through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's His promise. Now you'd think... We'd all be, I want that promise. You know, I want to believe that. I want to have that. But that is the promise of God. That he will do you ultimate and complete good in every way humanly possible through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, this promise really stops you in your tracks when you consider the backdrop to the promise. The backdrop to his covenant. See, the story of the Bible is basically this. First 11 chapters of Genesis give us, uh, gives us that terrible outbreak of human sin. And the whole rest of the Bible, from chapter 12 to, Genesis, uh, to Revelation 22, uh, gives us what God does to deal with that sin and restore creation. There's this outbreak of sin and the crippling of creation in the first 11 chapters And the rest of the Bible is what God does to rescue that situation. And that the beginning of that rescue is his covenant. So you've got outbreak of sin, promise of God. And they don't really go together. Now, by the way, it's not as though God did nothing during the first 11 chapters. Take the flood, for instance, you know. Uh, casting out of Adam and Eve from the garden. But as to his central rescue that he was going to accomplish to restore mankind to himself and to restore, restore all creation, that began in Genesis 12. And that's the remarkable thing. We reject God, first 11 chapters. We turn from him to worship his creation, to focus on what is around us in creation and in culture, excluding the true God, making up our own ideas of God and worshiping those. First 11 chapters, mankind turns against the true God, refuses him, despises him. Chapter 12, God promises to do good to all mankind. Figure that one. Figure that one. What? Outbreak of sin, despise God. God comes in chapter 12 and says, I promise to save mankind and to restore the creation. So, that's where covenant comes in. The agreement to rescue man and creation. And the reason we say covenant in Christ is Jesus Christ is the means by which God restores Mankind to himself and restores creation. And that's what Christmas is all about. The coming of God in the flesh to accomplish that work. 
to accomplish the work of reconciliation, of restoring us to God, and ultimately to restore all of creation to God. So, uh, that's why this last uh, week on this theme, you see here the covenant in Christ, God redeems his people and all things. Let's read then this first section entitled, Blessed, that is, we are blessed or his people are blessed, and in turn, the blessing that goes to all peoples. So, here in chapter 12, the the covenant, the promise, narrows down to one person, Abraham, uh, the, the ultimate father of all of the Jewish people. God focuses on this one man who was himself, who, who himself belonged to a family that worshipped idols. So God just plucks Abraham out of this idol-worshipping uh, clan and he makes this promise to him. Against the backdrop that all mankind has turned against God. Okay. And so he says, among other parts, and we don't, we're not reading the whole of it, but he says, I will make of you a great nation, addressing Abraham, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the focus I want to uh, have, this part. The, all the families of the earth will be blessed in you. So the focus down to Abraham is not to create this little enclave, this little closed-in group of people, but the whole point of blessing the one is to bless the whole of the earth. Okay, From the start... The point of blessing Abraham is so that the whole earth would be blessed. You see this in the prayer in Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Why? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So the very request for blessing has as its focus the knowledge of God throughout the whole earth for his saving power to be made known among all nations and to be drawn to him. And then we have this amazing promise of Psalm 22. And every time I read through the Psalms, I, I just have to put a little when with a question mark at this point and several other places like this in the Psalms. When is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? What's the fulfillment of this? Because this is an absolute promise. It says this, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. The indication is because God is absolute sovereign and king, there will be people worshiping him from all nations on the earth, all families of the earth, at least this much that they will be represented among those who worship God. And the extent to which this uh, is in each each family or, or, or nation or group, we don't fully know. But you can't just erase this from the Bible, that all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. 
It's an indication that this promise to Abraham is going to have amazing consequences in the earth. It already has had amazing consequences in the earth in the spread of Christianity. But we expect even more to come. So here's the point. Christmas means that we are thinking about how Christ is going to influence the whole world. And the true joy of real salvation makes us more and more want to move out to others to bring good into their lives, especially to bring the good of Jesus Christ. It, it, that's the reason we are blessed, the reason we would ask to be blessed. And I would, I would encourage you in all question, in all asking of God to bring blessing, to, to relieve you, to help you, to bring good things into your life. These things are ultimately, if you're the focus, Lord, make me an instrument. Make me useful. Make me in some way, as you promised, as Jesus said, to be light in this world. Bless me that I may bless others. And so true satisfaction in a relationship with God progressively transforms us to want to spend ourselves for others, especially as we will see, because God spent himself for us. How do you follow a God who spends himself lavishly for you and you want to be like him without wanting to spend yourself lavishly for others? You can't. Oh, you can make up a God. You can make up a God, and a lot of Christians do, a God who wants you to be comfortable, a God who wants you to keep to yourself and not bother with other people and not get involved in other people's problems and issues. Yeah, you can make up a God like that, and you can call it Christmas. It's not really Christmas. It's not the real God who lavishly spends himself for his people and transforms them so that they want to be a blessing to the world. And so the world's issues and problems and sufferings are on their heart. Why? Because they worship God. They worship Jesus who spent himself on the cross. Christmas is about the world. That's the covenant. It's, it, the whole structure of the Bible is this covenant to do good to all nations, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, we, we pray this, really, when we pray the Lord's Prayer. We don't think a lot of what we're saying. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? How many times do we say that? What does that mean? Well, it means... In all the Reformed expositions, uh, the historical expositions of this of the Lord's Prayer, that we would do God's will like the angels do His will. That we would have something of their attitude. See? And you think of the angels, they're just standing there, you know, all huddled around the throne, just, it, it appears, just waiting and hoping that He'll call their name. You know, you know, almost like me, me, me. Let me do something. Let me, let me accomplish something for your will. Let me go serve you. Let me be. There, there's that attitude, and they have wings to indicate the quickness with which they go, and the eagerness, and the zeal, the fiery passion to fulfill God's will. 
It's immediate, isn't it? It's glad, isn't it? It's their privilege and honor, their joy. And they're called in Hebrews 1, ministering spirits to God's people. Here are these glorious beings. And every time we see one, or every time one is seen in the Bible, people hit the deck, right? It's like, I'm dead, man. <laughs> it's over. There's so much glory and power, you just can't even stand in the midst of it. This is just an angel, you know, one angel. And yet those mighty, glorious angels are dedicated to be servants of God's people. How much more so we who have been served by God, for Christ didn't die for angels, he died for human beings. He enfleshed himself for us, who are, we who are in flesh. And so, walking in his footsteps, filled with the same spirit that we're told in Hebrews, enabled him to offer himself. We are filled now with that spirit so that we can offer ourselves. So, the covenant in Christ certainly means that we spend ourselves for the world. That, as the God has promised, he will bless all the families of the earth. And then, you see this second set of passages the blessings to all the earth, to all peoples, come through Christ, specifically through Christ. In Isaiah 49, 6, by the way, this is quoted in Acts uh, when, uh, when Paul and Barnabas are preaching and they're rejected by the Jews in the Jewish synagogue, <clears throat> excuse me, and they turn to the Gentiles and, and this passage is quoted uh, as a fulfillment that the gospel would go to the Gentiles, would go to us. Most of us are probably not <clears throat> uh, physical Jews or, you know, have even been cultural Jews. <clears throat> We're what would be considered Gentiles, the pagans, you know, out there, the non-Jewish Jewish pagans. And here's that promise in Isaiah 49. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant. And we believe he's speaking here ultimately to Christ that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So you see, it's Christ that becomes the light of the nations so that salvation may reach the end of the earth. And Paul talks about this in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now get that. The, the blessing of Abraham comes to the Gentiles, how? Through Christ Jesus. He's the means. When God blessed Abraham, he had in mind through your seed, through your offspring, which Paul refers to in verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. So Paul's contention is this promise to Abraham and his offspring was really a promise that through your offspring, Christ Jesus, I will bring blessings to the whole earth. And <clears throat> it shows that all of the covenant promises, <clears throat> all of the promise to do people good uh, 
finally meet themselves in Christ Jesus, are fulfilled in Christ Jesus, accomplished in Christ Jesus. Now, a, a little knowledge uh, questionnaire here. See if you get what all this is, <clears throat> these names. Uh, and I'm just giving a few of them, maybe a fourth of them. Bad Axe, Boku, Beaver, Big Black, Big Muddy, Bloody, Bluebell, Buck, Buffalo, Rum, hmm, Rush, Salt, Schoolcraft, Skunk, Spruce, Swan, Turkey, White, Willow, Wind, Wolf. Really, any guesses? Any, just one guess. Tributaries of the Mississippi. You knew, you knew it. You just didn't want to say it. I know. You were embarrassed. You don't, you know, or in front of everybody. But you knew. You were thinking. Tributaries of the Mississippi. <clears throat> My point is that all the tributaries of promise, all the tributaries of every promise and covenant, they meet in the mighty Christ Jesus. They flow in and find their meaning, their final uh, accomplishment in the person of Christ Jesus. That promise to Abraham was a promise to give Christ. And here's the amazing thing. As Paul talk, talks about it here in Galatians 3, he brings this up, this promise of Christ Jesus, as he talks about his being cursed for us. So the promise... The promise against the backdrop of man's sin is this. I will do good to all mankind by coming in the flesh and bearing the curse that mankind deserves. That's what I promise. And that governs the whole of the Bible. That governs our whole relationship with God. That I have a God who's promised and accomplished standing in my place, bearing my curse, how can I not, you would think, though we do, not entrust myself to this God who would sacrifice everything? This shows him to be a God with us, a God for us, a God standing in our place, a God bearing our punishment. And the result we see here in Revelation, the top of page 7. After this I looked... And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's interesting, uh, the word covenant has been used in not so good ways. Uh, for instance, uh, Subdivisions in Canada, such as Westdale, Ontario, employed racial covenants to bar a, a diverse uh, ethnic uh, array of ethnic groups, including Armenians and foreign-born Italians and Jews. How's that for a covenant? We covenant that these people will not live with us. That's what we covenant. We know of the racial covenants in South Africa, Zimbabwe. And of course, while they've been used in other countries, they're most commonly associated with the USA, right? 
For instance, Forest Hills Gardens, Queens, New York, forbade the sale of real property to African Americans, Jews, and working class people. Jackson Heights, Queens, New York, covenants employed to restrict occupancy to white, non-immigrant Protestants. Yeah, funny, isn't it? It's like, who would want to live with all those people, right? No, it's just... Washington Park Subdivision, Chicago, Illinois, restrictive covenants used to exclude African Americans. Palos Verdes, Los Angeles, California. Covenants forbade an owner to sell or rent a house to anyone not of Caucasian race and, and I tremble to read this, not permit African Americans own their property with the exception of chauffeurs, gardeners, and domestic servants in Los Angeles. How's that for a covenant? Heinous, blasphemous, evil to the core. Doesn't sound like Emma Lazarus' uh, poem, her sonnet, now in the Museum of the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest host to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And of course, some people in America said and you'll live over there, not here, right? I only mention these to say, while these are covenants of exclusion, the covenant of God is one of massive, radical inclusion from every peoples on the earth that we call brother and sister, no matter what their race, no matter what their social standing, no matter what their language. This is the most glorious thing that God makes of us a family that spreads throughout the whole earth and we will be a family for all history with nothing standing between us in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what he says there in Revelation from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And the way these terms were used, it would seem that this would include every people group on the earth. And finally, I turn you to this last section that I just, just want to mention because it's the final capstone. Against the backdrop of human sin... God pledges himself to suffer and die and bear our curse. How could he do it? As Paul says in Romans 5, nobody would even do that, a human being, for somebody good. Maybe for somebody good. But God shows his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But then this final thing, look what he does for us in dying for us. He, he dies for us. He stands in our place. But look what he wants to bring into our lives. Colossians 1 talks about how he reconciles all things to himself. Acts 3, he restores all things. So that's not just us to God, but everything around you gets restored to God, the whole of creation. And Ephesians 1 speaks of how everything is united in him in heaven and earth. And all of these these phrases of heaven and earth, everything's going to be united in Christ and reconciled in Christ and restored in Christ. So God's not happy just with us restored to him, but his whole creation. 
And this includes our bodies. I heard a fellow talking recently, uh, and I love his phrase as he was shouting out to his uh, people he was listening to. He says, what are you going to do about your body being in the ground? It's a good question, you know. Kind of have this ethereal idea of, well, I don't know, but, you know, after I die, I'm going to live on somehow and all this kind of stuff. Well, here's the issue. What are you going to do about your body being in the ground? We're, we're not made to be a, a bodiless person, existence. That's not our ultimate goal. If our body's in the ground, something's wrong, okay? A rotting corpse in the ground, something's wrong. And God is not happy, He's not satisfied until we're restored and that body is raised up. That's why Christ was raised from the dead, is to get our bodies out of the ground. To have our bodies and spirits united in one and united in one to live in a creation that's restored to its former glory, even beyond. To a glory that we've never seen. It's like all of creation, including mankind, goes from the caterpillar stage. Into the butterfly stage. Whatever that's going to look like. And so here he talks about it in Romans 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's right there in your text, you know, on page 7. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So that when the children of God are restored in their glory, all of creation goes with us. We're like the train engine that fell off into the ravine and we took the whole train with us. And when we're placed back on the track, the whole train is put back on the track. That's the way it works. Because we're the kings, we're the lords of creation. And so all of creation is on tiptoe, eagerly waiting for the restoration of the children of God because the creation will be restored then. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So ultimately, we're not waiting just to get to heaven. Although that's going to be glorious, we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And that's what Christmas is all about. Ultimate redemption of our bodies and the redemption of all things. And what happens in that final day, Jesus says in Matthew 5, the meek inherit the earth. And Revelation 22, right there in your bulletin, they will reign forever. And ever. And so, celebration of Christmas is God coming to suffer and rescue us and give us all things, we who had sinned so terribly against Him, to transform us, to bring such joy in our lives and relationship to Him that our joy would spill out into other people's lives and for all the world. That's the covenant in Christ. That blessings through Christ go to all of creation and to the whole of our humanity. And that forever and ever. What a thing to celebrate. What a God to serve. What a Christ to worship and adore. 
Let us pray. Oh Lord, we pray that especially at this time where so much of the world celebrates what's called Christmas. Oh Lord, how much of the world at the same time does not rest in the very Christ of Christmas, does not cling to Him for their salvation, does not serve Him and give themselves up to His will by giving themselves up to His Word, by giving themselves up to the Word taught and preached and and the Word in everyday life, reading and meditating in it, memorizing it, following it, living it out in our lives because we love our King Jesus. We love our Savior who has accomplished salvation for us. Oh, Lord, fix us, fix our hearts, fix our affections upon Christ. May our joy over Him, Lord, give us the greatest strength to serve Him with gladness. And Lord, to be instruments, each of us in different ways, but each one of us as instruments, Lord, to help bring the knowledge and joy and glory of Jesus to a lost and dark world. Bless us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Won't you chase my fears away?